Hello, my Rebels. Today, I'm going to talk about an old friend of mine. I haven't seen him in a while, but I saw him um, pop up with a new plan he has for an Alberta reset. Sounds a bit like the Great Reset. And if you think maybe I'm stretching there, Monty is inviting to a big conference, not only Gerald Butts, but Mark Carney of the World Economic Forum. Monty Solberg is hosting a Great Reset conference for Alberta. And the guest of honor is Gerald Butts and Mark Carney. And it is so gross, and I'll take you through it today. It's just unbelievable. Uh, the podcast will be interesting, but I want to encourage you to get the video version of the podcast because I want to show you with your own eyes the website where Monty promotes this. I want you to see. I'm not making it up. I'm not exaggerating. You've got to see this. And to see it, get the video version. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get my nightly show in video form as well as four weekly shows that we do just unbelievable monty solberg breaks your heart go to rebelnewsplus.com for the video version here's today's podcast tonight a stephen harper cabinet minister hires Gerald Butts and the CBC <laughs> to come up with a great reset for Alberta. And no thanks. It's June 22nd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. One of the important concepts about being a lawyer is that you don't have to agree with your client in order to represent them. That's really important in criminal law especially, even though it's sometimes hard to understand. I mean, if someone is charged with an absolutely odious and brutal crime, we're repulsed by him and those connected to him. And imagine some lawyer who's actually trying to keep him free by any legal means, any detail, any technicality or loophole. How could we not hate such a lawyer too. I mean, imagine being the lawyers who defended Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Just atrocious. Or if you're not old enough to remember them, think about someone who didn't commit murder but did gross things. Just think about Gian Gameshi, the serial abuser, violent thug, who used his CBC show as a sort of a dating service, a pipeline to gather impressionable young women and then he'd ask them out on dates, and then he'd take them back to his place, and he would punch them in the face. He would choke them and beat them again and again. And the CBC heard about it, and they helped cover it up. Imagine being that scumbag's lawyer. Well, Marie Hanane is her name, probably the best criminal lawyer in Toronto, and she defended this sick thug, and she got him off. Oh, sorry. Bad choice of words. Um, and some feminists attacked her for that. But she was right and they were wrong. I mean, obviously, Hanane is not for beating women. She's for the idea of innocent until proven guilty. That everyone deserves a lawyer. In fact, it's a civil right. And the system needs it. Both sides need to be argued in a zealous way. No stone left unturned. And then a neutral unbiased judge or jury weighs it on a scale. 
And if we don't believe an accused criminal deserves a lawyer, and a good lawyer at that, then why bother even having a trial? I mean, if you're so certain, well, just convict him. No. One of the fundamental features of our legal system is to hear both sides of the story. In Latin, there's a phrase, audi ultra impartum. Hear the other side first. Hear the other side first. Okay, thank you for indulging that little detour. Don't judge a lawyer by his clients. I think you could probably say the same thing about other professions too, like a doctor. A doctor treats someone even if they're a bad person. That's sort of what doctors do. They Someone gets shot up in a drug gang war, you still treat them at the, at the hospital. I, I think you have a, an ethical obligation. Um, now, this image here is a little bit hard to see, but it's uh, a New York Times story from about 30 years ago. The headline, if you can make it out, is a Klansman's Black Lawyer and a principal. Just FYI, uh, civil liberties groups like the ACLU used to send black lawyers and Jewish lawyers to defend the KKK. And I think they made the point beautifully, it's what I was saying about Marie Hanane, to indicate that they obviously didn't support the anti-black and anti-Jewish views of their clients. They were there to defend free speech on principle and also to support the principle that everyone has the right to a lawyer even if they're wrong, even if they are a criminal. In fact, those are the ones who need a lawyer the most. Okay, there you have it. And I tell you all that, even though I think you probably knew it, because you can represent someone without agreeing with them. If you know the law, if you're an officer of the court, if you're a doctor, whatever, you should help someone navigate those systems. It's, it's actually your duty. But how about representing someone, associating with someone, Promoting someone, not in the law, not when their life or liberty hangs on it, not when they're charged by the government with a crime, not when you could save them from injustice or even imprisonment. But how about when you just choose to affiliate with them and choose to associate with them, not out of a love for justice, but because you're being paid a ton of money. And when you're not selling your knowledge of legal precedents and legal procedures, but rather you're selling your connections and your influence, no, no special professional skills, no technical knowledge, you're being retained by someone because you used to be a senior politician, so you know who's who in Ottawa, who's who in politics, in the permanent civil service. You have a private reputation in the form of connections to insiders, and you have a public reputation in that some of the public trusts you because you served in high office and you built up a certain reputation. What if you're renting out that reputation now? And not to save someone from prison, but just to get rich, to get them rich, and they'll pay you to pump their tires, to help them get what they want politically. Is it different then? I think it's very different. Um, I, I want to talk for a minute about Gerald Butts. Trudeau's closest advisor and his friend since university days. Butts was the one, as you know, who interfered with the SNC-Lavalin prosecution. Just to refresh your memory, it was a big company, very corrupt, notorious for paying bribes to get government contracts in Canada and around the world. Just awful, based in Quebec. And they were being prosecuted by the Canadian government for a massive corruption case, uh, which they admitted to, by the way. How could they deny it? Uh, they didn't deny it. 
And Gerald Butts kept pressuring, when he was working for Trudeau, he was pressuring the Justice Department to drop the prosecution, pressuring them to cut a deal, to stop the trial. I wonder if he was worried about certain facts coming out. I mean, who knows? Maybe other Quebec politicians had taken bribes from SNC-Lavalin. Of course they did. And maybe Gerald Butts didn't want that to come out in court. I don't know. So Butts interfered with a live criminal court case. He tried to get it scuppered. He tried to get it thrown out. He kept harassing Jody Wilson-Raybould, Trudeau's most ethical justice minister. And uh, in the end, she was fired from her position because she wouldn't go along with this. And then she quit cabinet over it. Uh, Gerald Butts was trying to rig a trial. That's <laughs> straight out of a Sopranos episode, the mafia trying to get a friend out of trouble. He tried to pressure the prosecutors to drop criminal charges against Trudeau's friends. He was rightly thrown out of the PMO for that into a very soft landing, I should say, by something called the Eurasia Group, a New York City lobby uh, firm where he had directed sole source contracts. That's pretty convenient. Uh, so he actually was exiled from the country in a way, which is a shame because he should have been prosecuted, I think, uh, for what he did. He was disgraced, but he's being rehabilitated now. He's being normalized now, while Jody Wilson-Raybould, the most honest, honest woman in cabinet in a generation, is being marginalized. When was the last time you even heard from her? I think that shows the decline of Canadian democracy a bit. Well, the head of the RCMP, I don't know if you saw this news, Brenda Lucky, well, she sees what you and I see. She sees what is rewarded, and she sees what is punished. So she has corrupted the RCMP in the style of Trudeau and Butts. We're going to have more stories about that for you in the days ahead. Shocking news has come out of Nova Scotia about how Trudeau pressured Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, and how Lucky in turn pressured the local police to turn a mass murder a few years ago into a liberal campaign moment. How Trudeau pressured Lucky, who pressured the local cops, demanding they say certain things that would make it easier for Trudeau to make a campaign ad against firearms, really using the dead bodies of people uh, as campaign material for the liberals. Super gross, super unethical. So my point is, Gerald Butts did that. I'm not saying he was interfering in the Nova Scotia mass murder case. I'm saying he set the tone, the standard. And the fact that Gerald Butts has been normalized by the Canadian establishment, I mean, he's back big time. He's, he's all over Ottawa. He's all over... Twitter as a surrogate for Trudeau again. He's doing better than ever. He shows how corrupt the entire Canadian political establishment is. He's back. Uh, Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster has rehabilitated butts. They have him on all the time uh, without a disclaimer that he's the disgraced crook who tried to throw a criminal trial. They're effectively giving him a pardon for the worst corruption scandal in modern Canadian history. So much for the CBC's solidarity with the first Indigenous justice minister. But that's the CBC. They're gross. They always have been, and they're on Trudeau's payroll. But what about Monty Solberg? Remember him? He was one of Preston Manning's first MPs in the Reform Party in the 90s. <laughs> he was from Medicine Hat, Alberta, one of the most conservative places in the world. Lots of fossil fuel there, too. About 100 years ago, there was an atrocious idea to rename the city from Medicine Hat to Gasberg. Luckily, Rudyard Kipling, the great novelist and poet, heard about that, and he smashed the idea to pieces by writing a powerful letter 
to the editor of the local newspaper. He saved that town. Monty Solberg was a Preston Manning reformer. Then he was a cabinet minister under Stephen Harper, conservative guy. And then he retired. And then he became a lobbyist for hire, not a lawyer. Monty's not a lawyer. So what skills does Monty have? He's a very friendly guy. That's for sure. I used to work with him. But being friendly isn't really a business plan. But selling influence, selling your reputation, selling both public influence to the millions of people who believe you were actually conservative, you actually meant what you said, believe you're like Preston Manning, you're like Stephen Harper, that's valuable. Monty can sell that. And selling access to your friends in power, your old connections, both in the Canadian um, Conservative Party and your friends in various government ministries you used to run, that could be very valuable. Being a lobbyist, being an influence peddler, that's what Monty does for a living now. So it's not like Marie Hanane, a necessary part of the court system to ensure trials are fair, a necessary professional to keep a man out of prison if he's innocent. Money Solberg's not like that. His business is to rent out his reputation and his connections to those who pay him enough. And for him, unlike a criminal lawyer, we can indeed judge him for the clients he chooses. And so I threw up a little bit in my mouth when I saw who else is rehabilitating Gerald Butts. It's our old friend Monty Solberg. Look at this. Like I say, Monty Solberg runs a lobbying company called New West. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But they're having a great reset plan for Alberta. They're, they're calling it the Great Relaunch. <laughs> the Alberta Relaunch. Alberta Reset would be too on the nose. And look who their guests are. Look who is helping to draft the reset for Alberta. Mark Carney the Liberal Party activist, the World Economic Forum big shot. We bumped into him on the streets of Davos last month, the environmentalist extremist. And look there, Gerald Butts, the disgraced, corrupt, underminer of our justice system. The environmentalist extremist, the pipeline killer, the carbon taxer, Monty Solberg is hosting him at his great reset for Alberta party. And look, Vasi Kapalos and Kathleen Petty of CBC News. But of course, I mean, not Rebel News, not the Western Standard Online, not True North, not even Post Media. The CBC, Trudeau State Broadcasters say, I didn't know that CBC reporters could be rented out by the hour by lobbying firms for the delight of their clients. Look there, Ed Whittingham. He's the former head of the anti-oil sands, anti-pipeline Pembina Institute. He is an extremist, a foreign-funded anti-oil extremist. And the former MP from Medicine Hat is hosting. He's the most vicious job killer in Canada, and Monty's good friends with them now. <laughs> Mark Cameron, the carbon tax advocate who left Jason Kenney's office in disgrace. What on earth is Monty Solberg doing? Why would he do this to you? To get rich, that's why. Why do you think? I wonder how much he's paying, and I wonder who's paying him. He doesn't disclose that. That's weird, isn't it? I find it heartbreaking, but it's a reminder of what the Bible says, Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, 
in whom there is no help. Yeah, I like some politicians and I dislike some others, but you'd be a fool to trust any of them. They'll sell you out for 30 pieces of silver, just like Monty Solberg did. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Gerald Butts? Stay with us for more. Well, we've had an amazing roster of new talent join Rebel News very recently. Carrie Diot, former conservative member of parliament, joined us covering Edmonton, the legislature, and a lot of other political things. In Ottawa, William Diaz Bertillon, a young guy just tearing up the streets, catching politicians as they walk around Parliament Hill so they have no elevator or staircase they can dash into. He asked them great questions in that minute or so. He has them. Great new talent. And one of our most interesting new teammates is one Carlos Mendoza Diaz, who, as you can tell by his name, is bilingual in Spanish. And he covers interesting things in the United States, including at the Texas-Mexico border, where they are having an immigration crisis, an illegal immigration crisis. If you think Roxham Road is a big deal in Canada, well, imagine the entire Mexico-U.S. border. Donald Trump promised to build a wall, and he built, well, a few dozen kilometers of it. But the border is unguarded in the main, and Joe Biden's policy is to maximize the number of migrants. And by the way, they're not just from Latin America. There have been reports of Russians going to Mexico. I'm not saying like Russian spies. I'm just saying people from Russia who go to Mexico and come up. People from China make their way to Mexico and come across the border easier than coming in by plane. Well, Juan Mendoza joins us now on the scene at the border between Mexico and Yuma, Arizona. Juan, great to see you. That is the Trump fence behind you, if I'm not mistaken, but there's a pretty big gap there. In fact, this is called the gap, isn't it? Uh, that's correct, Ezra. I'm here in Yuma, Arizona, one of the areas that has been worst impacted by the border crisis that has started since the Biden administration has taken office. Yeah, behind me, this area is known as the gap where there have been many uh, people that have crossed illegally into the United States. As you can see, we would see that vehicles would park over on the Mexican side by the highway and just drop migrants down there so they could cross illegally into the United States to be apprehended by Border Patrol units here in Arizona. Now, right now, one of the main areas here in the Yuma sector that has been seeing hundreds of migrants crossing illegally into the United States is an area about 10 minutes down the road called the Cocopa Reservation, which uh, they've been seeing hundreds of migrants that have been crossing through illegally there. Uh, right now, they're seeing activity more at nighttime. It is extremely hot here in Yuma, Arizona. So the people wait until nighttime so the cartels smuggle them into the United States and they can be apprehended by Border Patrol units. Now, Border Patrol units have told me that the Cocopa sector uh, is a spot where people cross because the, the, the wall is not built there. Um, the residents there in that area asked not to have the, the wall built. But CBP units have informed me that cartel members actually pay the people in these lands so they can smuggle people through that area. Huh. 
Um, now, I mentioned that I saw reports, including from some of your colleagues on the ground, that it's not just Mexicans. Uh, I mean, there would be a lot of reasons to cross the border. Uh, better jobs, better paying jobs in America, uh, sort of an economic migrant. There may be some people who seek asylum for reasons their life is in danger. But obviously, there's a criminal motive, too. There are drug smugglers, human traffickers, and even people with malevolent intentions. Tell us about the, some of the different categories. I, I mentioned that some people who aren't even from Latin America are just using this open back door to sneak in, right? That's right, Ezra. And one of the things that we have seen in the Yuma sector that is different from, say, the Rio Grande Valley and Del Rio in Texas is that we've been seeing people crossing here from not just Latin America, we've been seeing people coming from Russia, from India, from China, and just Border Patrol tells me there's over 25 countries uh, that they've seen people come into Yuma here. So like I said, it's not just uh, Latin America, which is mostly the case in other parts of the, of the United States southern border that are facing the border crisis. Now, in Canada, when people walk across the Roxham Road border from New York State, it's sort of funny that anyone would be fleeing America, but they're actually just fleeing in the main deportation orders. These are people who sought refuge in America, were denied, and are just coming into Canada because our system welcomes them in, almost never turns them back, and they're given an immigration hearing sometimes five years into the future. So they're just processed and literally let go probably forever. That's the Canadian way. What's it like in America? You're mentioning hundreds or thousands of people crossing. And I know along the entire border, the numbers are even much larger. So what happens to, let's say, a 25-year-old man who crosses over and says, I want asylum, to a typical, like a young guy? Uh, what happens to him? So usually uh, DHS tries to state that they uh, are trying to deport people under Title 42. Uh, many times that's not the case, and many many migrants here are actually trying to claim Title VIII, which is manifestation of credible fear in order to gain asylum into the United States. Uh, they're also coming in with family units, and actually one of the darker aspects with that is that there's many people that will actually smuggle kids that are not theirs and pretend to be a family unit, uh, so they have less chances of being deported. Actually, uh, while we were on the ground here in Yuma, I ran into a five-year-old kid that had a, he had a, in his arms uh, marked a phone number that said it was his grandfather's. Now the lady that was with him was saying that he was unaccompanied minor and that he was left in the desert apparently to die. And uh, I tried to call that number to verify to see if it was the actual grandfather and I didn't get any response. The lady said that she uh, video called a guy, but I mean, there's many cases where people could lie. Uh, like I said, there's people that pretend to have uh, children with them that are there of their kin, but that's not the case. And actually many uh, Border Patrol agents tell me that they tend to see, say like two, the same kid two, three times at once uh, every time they uh, see people crossing. Just horrific. I mean, whether that's a kidnapped kid, a runaway, a homeless, uh, an orphan, whatever it is to use a child uh, in that way is so atrocious. I guess you were saying some of them lie. If you're willing, to kidnap and abuse a human child that way, you're probably willing to lie as well. I mean, and again, whether you're just trying to cross for economic reasons or refugee reasons, real or not, um, th there are also 
the darker elements, like you say, that that kind of uh, trick, that kind of tactic is very much what a terrorist might do, what a, what a drug cartel might do. I mean, that, that's not just an ordinary person coming up with some devious plan. That is an organized international criminal element. I don't know. I find that very troubling. Um, what are, and we know the Biden administration loves this the same way the Trudeau administration loves it in Canada. I think they, they like the destabilization. They believe that these are future Democrat voters. But what about some of the border governors who at least talk a little tougher? I'm not sure what it's like in Arizona, but in Texas, their governor claims to be a little tougher on these things. Is there anything that the state governments can do? Like, for example, to, to ask a really dumb question, why doesn't someone just finish building that fence behind you? I mean, if you tilt your camera a little bit, you showed me earlier, it, it really is just a gap. Like, it's not, like, yeah, keep spinning that way. Let's show us what's behind your, show. yeah, like, it, like that's not even 100 feet. Um, I'm not saying that would solve the problem, but it, it would make a dent in it. Like, why, why isn't that fence finished? Well, um, like I was saying before, this was the federal wall that was being built under the Trump administration. So uh, under the Biden administration, he halted the construction of the border wall. Uh, much of the human sector has it, but there are certain gaps like this one. And you can see actually the remains of uh, materials that were supposedly used to build the wall. And like I said, I mean, this is a federal, uh, this was a federal project. So even uh, the states will have to build their own wall. And uh, right now they're, they're battling the federal administration because the federal administration is just employing these open border policies, even though state governors such as Greg Abbott and Doug Ducey are begging the federal government to stop this because they're seeing massive numbers of people crossing in illegally. And it's not just harmful for Americans that live here. It's harmful for the migrants. And it's actually empowering organized crime groups. Yeah. Well, and terrible for those kids, too. Well, listen, Juan, I'm, I'm very proud of the work you're doing down there. It's very interesting. We Canadians can only imagine what it what it's like. We have modest uh, border. I mean, listen, our only land borders with the United States. How bad could it be? It's called the world's longest undefended border for a reason. So our Roxham Road problem is a trifle compared to what you're describing. Thanks for doing that. Stay safe. I know the cartels obviously cross into America all the time. So keep your eyes peeled and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Ezra. All right, there you have it. Juan Carlos Mendoza Diaz, a rebel who also does work in Spanish for our losrebeldes.com website. We're doing some uh, Spanish videos too. Stay with us. Your letters to me are next. Instead of letters today, I'm going to just share with you a few more thoughts about Monty Solberg. I mean, I, I think there is a, a place in the world for lobbyists. For about one year, a decade ago, I was a lobbyist too. And if it means helping people talk to politicians, make their case in Ottawa, I think it's okay. I think anyone should be able to lobby and talk to politicians. But, but I think that Unlike being a lawyer or a doctor or a pharmacist or another profession like that, when you're just selling your reputation to boost someone else, I think you do sort of own who your clients are. And from Monty Solberg, from Medicine Hat Alberta, from the Reform Party and the Canadian Alliance and from Stephen Harper's cabinet, to team up 
with Gerald Butts, not even Gerald Butts before his disgrace, when he was anti-oil, anti-pipeline extremist, to buy the disgraced, corrupted, post-Jody Wilson-Raybould version of Gerald Butts and to bring him to town for what? To map out a great reset for Alberta? How can Monty look himself in the mirror? I don't know, maybe there's a big stack of money in the way he doesn't have to look himself in the mirror. I'm sort of grossed out by him. And maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe you would expect no less a politician taking the cash, selling his soul. I mean, it's pretty gross. I mean, Jean Charest sold his soul for Huawei during the Meng Wanzhou to Michael's kidnap fiasco. So I, I suppose at a certain point, what else is a politician supposed to do? They really don't have normal skills, so they have to rent out their reputation. But I don't know. Maybe it just cuts me a little bit because I used to be friends with Monty. I worked with him 20 years ago plus when I when I was in Ottawa with Preston Manning. It's just really, really gross to have Monty Solberg rehabilitate Gerald Butts. And I hope they're paying him extremely well for it because he's actually selling his soul. Gross. That's my show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. Tamara Ugolini here with Rebel News. I am in St. George, Ontario. So we are about half an hour south of Cambridge. We've driven all the way here to the Tim Hortons Foundation Camp Home Office. It's quite the trek. We're in pretty much the middle of nowhere, only to be greeted by a gatekeeper and a sign stating private property, please do not enter, and to call for assistance. We've done that. But the whole purpose of our visit today is to drop off this petition, 310 pages of signatures from almost 26,000 concerned Canadians to oppose the Tim's Foundation Camp's vaccine mandate. If you've missed my previous reports, you can find them and this petition at letkidscamp.com. The Tim Hortons Foundation Camp have decided to arbitrarily enforce a vaccine mandate for all of their youth aged 12 and up for those same underprivileged youth that are seeking a once in a lifetime opportunity to attend their summer camp. Now, this tip came to me from an anonymous tipster whose child was seeking his final year of attendance in the Tim Hortons Foundation Camp. He has been officially deregistered from his spot, but his mother is still hoping that there is some hope left for him to attend session two, the second session of the summer, regardless of his personal medical choices. Now, like I said, we have just shy of 27,000 signatures, this massive petition to drop off, but apparently we are unable to do that here at the home office. And so we are not going to stop here though. We're going to see what else we can do to get this petition, all of these pieces of paper in the hands of someone at Tim Hortons who's responsible for this arbitrary policy that is outdated and discriminatory. So please stay tuned as I follow this report. Apparently no one's available to offer assistance. Oh, hello. Yes, I'm here at the gates and I'm seeking assistance. So this appears to be the number to call for that. I am looking to drop something off to an appropriate manager, uh, perhaps specifically April Brown. If someone would like to give me a call back, we will wait here at the gate. Thank you. Bye-bye. We've tried to drop off our petition. 
Uh, we've driven around, we've tried calling the office for assistance, and now we see that we're being greeted by the OPP. So we'll see how this situation will unfold. Officer, how are you? Hey guys, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. Good. Awesome. What's going on today? Well, we're here to drop off a 310-page petition wow. to the Tim Hortons Foundation camp. We have 26,784 signatures, and uh, we are unable to unfortunately get any assistance so we've called is the it, number. Is it closed? Well, the sign would say so, but we spoke to someone just as we arrived in uh, who was either just trying to leave or coming and they said uh, that we could call for assistance. So okay. we tried to do that and then we showed up. So okay. hello. <laughs> well, perfect. Keep trying the number, I guess. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Are you able to help us maybe submit this petition here to no, Tim's camp? No, it's closed, so I can't go in. It's all locked up. Okay, are you just uh, happen to be in the neighborhood? No, I got called out here. Okay, so you, you guys were inside, yeah. We were inside? Yeah, trespassing. No, we no. were never inside. Oh, talking right here? Yeah. And they asked you to leave? No, they never asked us to leave. You can do whatever you want here. Yeah. As long as you, you try and get a hold of them yeah. and set something up. But you up. have a number maybe? That... No, it's right there. Okay. Yeah, it's closed. 519-448-1248. So someone did call you. Yeah. They're not returning our calls. <laughs> well, it might not be the same people, right? No? No. That'd be weird. Counselor, and that could be the owner, probably, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. We drove all this way to submit this petition on behalf of some concerned Canadians, obviously 27,000 of them. Right. Um, Where's all the way from? Toronto. Toronto? Yeah. So, I guess uh, we'll try again another time. Yeah, just call ahead of time, see if there's an email or something. And... Oh yeah, we've done that as well. There's a, a lady who works here in Human Resources, I've been tipped off to her name, so right. I've emailed her directly. Uh, I guess two weeks ago now, and then have called as well. So it seems that Tim Hortons doesn't want to receive this petition for some reason. Have you tried emailing? Emailing mailing, and called. Mailing? Yeah, snail mail. I guess we could send it registered and then try. you guarantee yeah. to get it. Yeah. Yeah, what would you suggest at this point? You know, I think those are my suggestions, some... other than, you know, you don't want to be going inside if you're not allowed. No, of there, course. Right? So... As soon as we see no trespassing, yeah. we're not in, in interest to uh, ruffle any feathers. Okay. But It'd be nice to, to hand this off to someone personally. I would. No, I'm not the guy to give to you. No, no, no I'm not. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I would try the mail thing or email or call it a time to meet up somewhere. Yeah, it would be nice to receive a response on all yeah, those outlets that we've already tried. Sure. Okay, guys. Thanks anyway. All right. Yeah. Well, have a great day. Okay, yeah. You too. The officer seemed nice enough, and that red truck that we were met with originally has uh, driven by. So I assume that's maybe the person responsible for calling the police on us instead of simply figuring out a way to have someone receive our petition, again, with 26,784 signatures. I wonder, at the end of the day, how Justin Bieber, with his post-vaccination facial paralysis, feels about the customer service that Tim's Camp is providing, not only to us here, just simply trying to drop off a petition, but to the youth that they're imposing this heavy-handed mandate on. Sign the petition and stay up to date with our reports. Please head to letkidscamp.com. For Rebel News in St. George, Ontario, I'm Tamara Ugolini.